friends, welcome to another episode of the Red World Football Podcast, this early week edition. I'm Josh Norris, that's Sean Daigle, that's Roto Pat. <laughs> <laughs> we had to re-rack, and so now we're recording this a second time. We had time. an off-the-rails beginning of the podcast. It was, it was super uh, lively, people missed out on two it. two to three minute debate. I'm just, just yelling Pat, at each other about Pat's name. <laughs> Whenever I screw up your name, it's like the biggest insult you've ever uh, felt in, in your life. What happens? Okay, let we've me ask been working you this. together five, six years. Yeah, but I only see you like once every five weeks. You say so. my name many times per week. Okay, what if you go to the doctor's office somewhere where they have to read your name and they say Doherty or Doherty? Do you stop the world and say, no, no. "Hey, no, we need to fix this because you are insulting me right Without now"? Without fail, they always say Doherty. But you know, this this is my career. This is my life. Okay. I'm going on the podcast. I need my name said correctly, the doctor's office, you know, I don't really care if Dr. Dank. You know what you could do for everyone else? You could just change the spelling of your last name to make it easier. You could do D-A-R-D-Y. It is, does it have approximately five too many letters. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I try to pronounce and enunciate every single letter because that's how people speak. When I tell people how to pronounce it, I say D-A-R-D-E-E, and you just say it as fast as possible. Darty. Darty. Okay. Because if you think about it, there's a little. No, I think you mispronounced it right there, Pat. No, I didn't. I think uh, you did. Putting you <laughs> in there. Think, if you think about my last name too much, you will say it incorrectly. So you just kind of got to fire it off like it's an impulse, like it's, it's a take. It's Patrick Bennett Darty. Yes, right? of course. Yes. No, my middle name is Bennett. Thank you, Josh. All right. Let's uh, move on to more football stuff. Again, sure. if you missed the other day's podcast, yesterday's podcast, it's a roundup, whip around of every single game of the weekend. It was a wild week 10. It was. Uh, so go back and listen to that if you missed any prime performances, sterling games, um, surprises out there. Go back and enjoy that whip around. Um, this is a big view podcast that we like to do every Monday. You know, because we are podcasting twice in less than two, uh, 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> why don't we look at some big picture thoughts here? Um, Daigle, you want to talk about this Rams offense that has been struggling as we've gone on, and especially yesterday, a loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, a loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers that really resulted in us watching that game and asking, what the hell is this Rams offense, honestly? Because they lack an identity. Uh, And I think it begins with the offensive line. They lost two more guys yesterday, and they're starting center and right tackle and uh, Rob Havenstein and Brian Allen, and they replaced them with no names and Austin Corbett, who couldn't even cut it with the Browns, and then someone called, I can't even remember his name, but it definitely has quotations around his name because he might not (laughs) exist. But no, the fact is is that they just are not – what we have seen in the past, they look more like their Super Bowl offense every single outing, which is not good, no. by the way. Uh, they aren't throwing to the running back, still bottom two in running back target rates, which used to be what they... It was what, a staple. Yes, exactly, especially to Todd Gurley. But now um, Todd Gurley looks more like a paddle boat when he turns sideways. Ooh. It takes him a whole day to get to the sideline. Uh, Daryl Henderson Their kids listen and Malcolm Brown, they, they are breaking tackles, but does it really matter whenever your offensive line is that atrocious? And so you lack all juice. And I'm just not sure what to do, not only for the rest of this season, as they're now 5-4 and four and third in their division because they obviously play behind the 49ers and Seahawks, but – 
Moving forward, I mean, we have Jared Goff's contract on the books for $134 million, and perhaps they shed it this offseason, but either way, they made that deal. You have Todd Gurley's contract that reset the market until Zeke was signed. You have Brandon Cook's 81 uh, contract that I believe is $81 million in total. And then you have Jalen Ramsey, who you traded for, who I assume you traded because you're going to give him a top cornerback contract. Reuniting him with uh, so, Blake Bortles. And not to mention Aaron Donald. Like, what do you even, what do you do? Yeah, and the Rams, identity, you couldn't have, couldn't have laid it out better than you. Their identity is the worst identity you could have in the NFL. When you become identified with your problems, like that's when your team is going in the wrong direction. And the Rams right now, their identity is their problems. You said the offensive line, it starts with the offensive line. So poor. But that's not the only bad offensive line in the NFL. When you're a yes, quarterback. Yes, thank you for saying that. Yeah, when you're a quarterback and you, you start having to alibi away everything, Jared Goff, any base, any quarterback that gets drafted in the first three or four rounds could succeed probably in a perfect situation, but you're not going to have perfect situations right. most of the time. Jared Goff had a perfect situation the first base of 18 months under Sean McVay, started going sideways after Todd Gurley got hurt last season, and what we're seeing is a quarterback completely incapable of creating offense on his own. I, I think you laid it out perfectly, Pat. That is absolutely the point you should make because it was a perfect situation to succeed. And I talk about this all the time. I feel like I talk about it every single week. But it was difficult to isolate Jared Goff in that system because he is so good at hitting his back foot, recognizing either in his ear when Sean McVay is talking to him before 18 seconds, 20 seconds left is on the play clock, or recognizing it post-snap where to throw the football to. And he can deliver in those moments. But when he has to win outside of structure, when he has to win inside of chaos, that has never been a strong suit. And Pat, I don't know if he's necessarily worse this year against pressure. I keep going back to he's just being pressured far more yeah. often. But you look at quarterbacks that have had to deal with bad pockets, bad offensive lines throughout the league. Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins in 2018 yes. had to deal with this. I mean, I can go name Deshaun after Watson. name after yeah. name. And Jared Goff just isn't that style of quarterback. Yet, the Rams looked at it and said, it's okay, we understand, because I'm sure they know who he is. Like, they can probably self-evaluate, but we're still going to tie ourselves to him. And I don't know, unless they spend all offseason trying to reinvent this offensive line that might be without Andrew Whitworth heading into 2020, if they can really rebound. And I'm a little afraid, John, if this window to win is already closed here for the Rams. If they self-evaluated, though, they don't give him $120 million guaranteed, right? Because well, that was only last month. They self-evaluated and found absolute belief in Sean McVay. That's what they right. found. This guy can overcome any problem. And It might really be too much, though. And uh, per Chase Stewart on Twitter, a great follow, uh, Jared Goff's last 16 games now that we have it on the books, 4,250 yards, 17 touchdowns, 32 total turnovers, and 5.75 adjusted yards per attempt. It is absolutely brutal. That is inconceivable. I tweet, I, I, so you mentioned all the bad contracts. I tweeted a poll yesterday where the choices were the, That's Goff, where I got this idea, the Goff contract, the Gurley contract, or the Cooks contract. Yeah, they're all bad. They're all bad. The Goff one is winning. Uh, there's still time to vote. Actually, Brandon Cooks be. is a top seven <laughs> paid wide receiver in the NFL right now. And this isn't even thinking about the concussion history, Correct. the health aspect. But they can't get out of that contract, I believe, until 2021. So he's tied to them for next season. I mean, 
I get, I, the Rams overinvested in Sean McVay's genius because Sean McVay, when they the, the summer before he even played for the Rams, Brandon Cooks, Sean McVay was just talking about how much he loved Brandon Cooks, how much they could do with him. Yeah. I think Sean McVay maybe just kind of bit off more than he can shoot. Even one of the best coaches in the NFL, which he is, can bite off more than they can shoot. And I know a lot of quarterbacks have dealt with bad pockets, but it still comes back to what were they thinking in the offseason whenever you have this zone-stretching scheme that truly relies well, on your offensive line and you did nothing to address it. But how many teams have we seen that have a productive quarterback mm -hmm move away from him and go into a, a different direction willingly, willfully, because they want a forward, they believe that they are a forward-thinking organization. I don't think we've truly seen one team do that. We thought it was going to be Mr. Harbaugh and Colin Kaepernick and Alex Smith a couple years ago. We thought maybe it could have been Sean McVay and Jared Goff, but no team has taken that step so far. And so I think it's a very difficult situation to ask a team to be the first ones to do that. And I guess they have done it correct, incorrectly anyhow because they have proven their system of building is top-heavy, which as we know, like Bill Parcells, one of the greatest GMs of all time, always worried more about the 53rd man on your roster as opposed to just stacking the front. It's such an interesting, interesting concept of like the first post-quarterback franchise. I, I, the Redskins kind of did it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but uh, to they didn't really have much of a backup. That's gone well. Yeah. I, I also <laughs> thought that within that organization, they thought Alex Smith was a better player than Kirk Cousins, and they were. In fact, I have heard this. They thought that Alex Smith would test vertically more often than Kirk Cousins did. And uh, again, health reasons came into this equation, but that certainly wasn't the case his first year there. And the Rams are outside looking in the playoffs right now. Like, it's a very strong chance they don't make the playoffs. They have the Bears coming up, the Ravens coming up, the Cardinals twice, and outside the Cardinals, it's the Seahawks, it's the Cowboys, and it's the 49ers Man. to close out this season. It's not looking good because there are aspects, and we'll get into this later on on the show, there are parts of teams that can improve as the season goes along. I rarely think that can be the offensive line. In fact, you've seen it for multiple seasons, multiple contenders for the Super Bowl. A healthy and offensive line that has played together is a cheat code once you get to the playoffs, and the Rams certainly aren't that this year. Well, I want to talk about the uh, hashtag changing face of the Cardinals offense. You, you think, was that worthy of a hashtag? Uh, no, but I, I feel like that is <laughs> something <we've> <laughs> that you lean on quite often. Have we discussed before, you hey, think in Twitter. Listen, so, yeah. people... I, I'm a I'm a careerist, and I think uh, hashtag humor is going to come back around. Um, oh, so, you, so okay. <laughs> so this is like 70s this fashion. This is like a long. I'm taking the long view. Right. And, uh, Got it. I'm all in on hashtag. Hashtags humor. and bell bottoms will be coming back yes, around at yes, some point. Yes, you can't. I'm wearing and, bell bottoms. Uh, and proper <laughs> pronunciation of names. Yeah, yes. I mean, I'm just a huge stickler for pronunciation of names. Unless yeah. it's anyone but you, then I don't really care. But okay. when it's you, I really care. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, the Cardinals. So that's what struck me yesterday. I watched the Cardinals game. Uh, you more than a lot of people. I've heard you praise, rightfully so, the Cardinals' running game. How mm -hmm. creative and amazing Cliff Kingsbury's running game has been. But now with the running back injuries, with kind of what could be a three-man committee soon, we're seeing this go from what was a very effective run-first offense to now kind of more what I was expecting heading in the season: uh, an aggressive, effective, maybe vertical-ish passing offense. And uh, we're seeing—I I don't know what is necessarily driving this change beyond. The running back injuries, which is an obvious part, but if you could isolate anything, it's maybe Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella playing, finally making plays down the field. Christian Kirk, his on the year slot percentage is still 65%, but yeah. it's under 20 each of the past two weeks. Uh, he caught a 69-yard touchdown in stride down the sideline yesterday, and they're just going more vertically minded. I think uh, even with as good as the run offense had been, 
becoming a much better offense by adding uh, these new explosive elements. I don't know if your concerns are warranted here, Pat, because... I'm not concerns. I'm saying this is good. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is very good, in my opinion. Because uh, I think for a while they did have to lean on the running game, like 266 yeah. yards against the Bengals, 156 yards against the Giants, 253 yards against the 49ers in that Thursday night performance. Um I mean, they didn't run the ball well against really good defenses against the run, like the Saints and the Bucks. I think part of it, again, an overtop look here of the Cardinals, is the coaching, at least offensively, I think has been sound this year because it they've has. kind of reinvented themselves in different portions of the season. Like you look early that first week against the Detroit Lions, Kyler Murray had an awful first half and then took it under his wing in the second half. Then they go and run these awesome, despite an awful offensive line, mm -hmm. awesome runs to the edge and to the outside of defenses. And now you see Kyler again being the forefront of this offense where he is able to hit more targets like Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella down the field. That speaks to good coaching and hopefully a good roster supplements that coaching at some point, and that's not going to happen here in a three-game losing streak in 2019. And it's unfortunate that their rushing game has essentially disappeared in all of this. Uh, perhaps has it? it? I mean, I don't think it has. It kind of has, but it's, I'd say it's injured. They had 153 yards against the 49ers okay, so, a week, <clears throat> like a week and a half ago. But Okay, so maybe I'm just too focused on David Johnson yes. being looking very bad. Not, not, just, not just injured this past week, even though he played. He looked not so healthy that's before true. that as well. Right. Um, among 58 guys with 30 carries this year, David Johnson ranks 55th and yards after contact per attempt. He's just not breaking tackles. James White, John Hilleman, and Kalen Balage, the infamous Kalen Balage, <laughs> by the way. The only other guys worse at breaking tackles. The only guy year. who got the tanking memo, I yeah, should it, say. And it, it's credit to... Literally ducks out of the way of targets. <laughs> All of it, uh, most of the credit goes to Kingsbury, especially because at Texas Tech, he was able to mask his poor offensive line. Right. He's done that again this year. They're 12th in adjusted line yards. But... They still need more explosive. And like I said, Chase Edmonds could actually bring more to the table if he comes back healthy. But also, they have another game against the Niners. It's not a short turnaround, so you're probably mismatched in that one. From a fantasy perspective, it's very frustrating. Yes. right? Because we won't know who to play in this backfield. Yes. So that, there's an element of frustration there. But more so, I'm just concerned of what this team's going to look like in 2020. Because if they do well enough this season, can a team president really fire a general manager, one who helped hire a head coach? There is a way. There is a recipe. Okay. And that recipe is a power struggle. And if Cliff Kingsbury is an ascendant coach over the second half of the season, assumes more power in the front office, that's the only way you really... So we basically have to assume that Cliff and Steve Kime don't get along. Yeah, we Steve have Kime to assume... Because it's not like Steve Kime has been a crystal clean member of the Arizona Cardinals organization yeah. over the last right. three or four years. And if he's already gotten over that hump, it kind of makes you think yeah. that he's going to be a part of this organization no matter what. Yeah, so the only way yeah, and this to dislodge someone like that is a power struggle. And that seems kind of unlikely. You know, this is Cliff Kingsbury's first year in the NFL in this capacity. It was on practice squads, basically. Uh, you know, it's week 10 real quick. Do you guys want to hear some overpraise, maybe? Yeah. I was going to say, the Cardinals have been almost uh, Patriots or Kyle Shanahan-esque in the way they've established multiple ways to win an offense. Of course, they've only won, I believe, three games, right? But it's pretty unique for, like, a first-time coach, a rookie quarterback, to put, like, almost two entirely different blueprints mm. out there like the Cardinals have done this year. And we look across the league, and we talk about rookie quarterbacks, we talk about second-year quarterbacks that have just their moments – and a lot of their negative moments are turning the football over. Kyler Murray's not turning the football over. Sure, they had two turnovers this past weekend, but that was the first turnovers for the team since week five and of Trent, this NFL season. Trent Sherfield fell. 
Yeah. I'm going to blame it on him, even though it was not a good throw. But we did get a season high in stats from Andy Isabella, so it's fine. Everything, it's all Everything's positive now. Trending in the right direction. I think we have seen enough from Kyler to be in on oh, him. Oh, yeah. 100% in on Oh, him. yeah. and That's been a problem for me, being 100% in on Kyler Murray. <laughs> you were like that since he stepped on stage at the NFL draft. I was, yes. I think you have him on every single fantasy team. Um, I do. I want to talk about, and we kind of alluded to it earlier, parts of teams that have drastically changed throughout the year. Because I think too often we look at this and say, hey, we're 10 weeks into the season. Really, the NFL year is made up of like four, four-week seasons. And you can change a team injuries, play, cohesion, in four-week increments. And I don't think a team has really changed their identity more this year than the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because you look at those first two weeks of the season, Ben Roethlisberger goes down, Mason Rudolph steps in. They are absolutely awful on defense despite investing a lot there. Then they make the trade for Minka Fitzpatrick. And at the time, I believe they were 0-2. And they trade a first-round pick. It's not like they go out and start winning football games after that immediately, immediately though. But what has changed is how good Minka Fitzpatrick has made that defense, but along with T.J. Watt playing at like an all-pro level, Bud Dupree's in a contract here playing very well, Came Hayward is playing very well. Um, this is the turnovers, and Greg Rosenthal pointed out, since Mika Fitzpatrick has taken over kind of like that center field, that deep portion of the field, five turnovers in, in a week, two turnovers, three turnovers, three, four, three, and four. It's difficult for turnovers to be sticky year to year, but from week three until week 17, I think this can last because we saw it last year with the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I was saying the Steelers, uh, I don't know what the updated DVOA uh, ratings are, but the Steelers on pro football focus actually have the highest team defensive grade, higher than the Patriots, higher than the 49ers. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is they've gone so defensive heavy. They won a game with Devlin Hodges yep. at mm-hmm. quarterback. Uh, Who's looked better than Mason Rudolph. Yeah. Yes. And it, too, I, think, uh, I mean, I uh, think both but, are just uh, below quality. Okay, that's, fi- that's fair. And to get, Mason Rudolph hasn't been good. To go full, no. to go full narrative, I think maybe we're seeing – you know, people like uh, like analysts have always had a tough time like understanding Mike Tomlin. Why are the Steelers so devoted to Mike Tomlin? Mm-hmm. And to go full like fifty-year-old columnist analyst dad, I mean, look how hard this team is playing for Mike Tomlin. They've won and, four straight. Yeah, and like mm-hmm. and to like adjust on the fly like that, they had to completely change their identity on the fly. I mean, in fact, after that three-game losing streak to start the season. They won against the Bengals. They went to overtime in a loss to the Ravens. Then they won four straight after that. Right now, I mean, if the season ends today and it doesn't, we still have basically half the season to go. The Steelers will be in the playoffs, which is crazy to think about where this team was to start the year, how different they're going to be, how bad their offense still is, how James Conner's on the bench. It's kind of amazing how well they're playing, and a lot of it is obviously defensive-focused. A lot of it is their defense. However, I still, like, even hindsight, like, I wish it were top five protected. Or, and I know perhaps they don't get a player as good as Mika Fitzpatrick is playing within the top six or top eight of the draft if the pick falls that way. I still think it was a bad business move, hmm. though. Two more portions of teams that I want to talk about. The Ravens secondary. Uh, because this was another one where, like, Earl Thomas in the first couple weeks looked slow. He looked lethargic. He was mm-hmm. getting beat vertically. They made a trade for Marcus Peters. And... He's PFF's third-rated cornerback in the league right now. He has two pick sixes since joining the Ravens. Marlon Humphrey is back, and he's healthy. Jimmy Smith has added some elements. And what's that allowing them to do with a talented secondary? Sometimes when you have such a good offense, one good position group, you can then get creative in other elements. And that's allowing Doc Martindale up front to be creative (laughs) with his blitzes, to, to be awesome 
uh, creating pressure on opponents, not by individual efforts, but like a unit up there that's a front six or a front seven, and then just allowing a secondary to be great in the back end. Playmakers in the back half allow you to be creative up front. And this is making the Ravens one of the more obviously entertaining and competitive and well-rounded teams in the league. And that one made more sense from the beginning anyways, the moment they pulled the trigger, because that allowed Jimmy Smith to return on the outside. Then you push Marlon Humphrey to the slot. You have three strong corners now to play underneath one of the best safeties in the league. So that one, like, from the get-go, no matter what happened on gambling on Marcus Peters, like, was a great trade. Yeah, it was kind of extra necessary for them to fortify their secondary because they just don't have a great pass rush this year by Ravens standards. And to me, it was, just, they need, it was a move. That, and, you know, Marcus Peters can kind of be – overexposed as a number one corner. Yeah, it's a gambling corner, yes. Time and again, as a number three corner, he can be a massive weapon. Um, I agree. So, yeah. One more, Chiefs run defense. Um, yesterday, they gave up 188 yards mm -hmm. to Derrick Henry. That was this past Sunday. Five times in the last eight weeks, they've given up 180 rushing yards to teams. And in those eight games, they are four and four. I am of the opinion that defense does matter, that defense <laughs> can cripple mm -hmm. a team that especially if you cannot stop the run, which the Chiefs at points this year, and they, like I mentioned, five times in the last eight games have been very bad at it, then that can completely dictate the outcome of a contest. And we saw that probably better than ever. Sure, the winning touchdown by Ryan Tannehill was all through the air, basically. Yeah. But it kind, of kind of played Ryan Tannehill's was made over and over again throughout <laughs> his career. But so much of it was establishing Derrick Henry for much of the game. Which is the way the Titans play, and there are better play callers out there, so if they see, and they will see, how leaky the Chiefs' run defense is, then sure, perhaps they start calling run heavily throughout the rest of the year. That's all the Chiefs face. Uh, but do you think it really hinders like a Patrick Mahomes' offense and a team that much? I think it hinders Super Bowl their, aspirations? I think it hinders their Super Bowl aspirations. Okay. Because, again, we talked about this multiple times this year, but I believe this team self-scouted this offseason and said, hey, we needed an, to get the ball in overtime in order to get to the Super Bowl. Our defense didn't have those one, two, or three playmakers in isolation that can take us over the top. Let's get those this offseason. They got those, in their opinion, this offseason, and it's not working so far. Mm -hmm. I'd say the Chiefs have gotten kind of unlucky from a roster. So the they way have gotten very unlucky. Because so like, the way this, this team is built is, so the pass defense is actually being ascendant this year and pretty solid, uh, much better than it was last year. They probably built this roster with the assumption they were going to be playing from ahead, you know, every game, all year. And, and like, Patrick Mahomes had an amazing game yesterday. I agree. And this weird game flow where they're not ahead by, like, 10 or 14 points like they were all last season. And so, kind of, they could probably build their defense with the idea that they would take the opposing team's running game out of it. And the opposing team's running it wouldn't get a chance to ever yeah. hashtag establish it. And I think that's very fair. And it is fair. I'm Look, I... I'm not so concerned that the Chiefs aren't going to make the playoffs. They're going to make the playoffs. But this is a team, one of like the five or six across the league, that you can say it's AFC Championship, it's Super Bowl, and that's basically yeah. it. Like, that's the goal. And, again, we look at complete teams across the league. The Chiefs' offense is still one of, if not the best, in the NFL. But there is a glaring fatal flaw right now in these past eight games, and it's their run defense. Agreed? Quite, quite bad. <laughs> okay. Uh, before we get into the waivers, again, that's John Daigle's column. Let me talk to you about the Rotoworld Season Pass. That is rotoworld.com slash win or rotoworld.com slash DFS if you're into DFS. Uh, and right now, if you use promo code NFL50, you get 50% off both. It gives you like that little boost, a little injection that you need 
to win and take you over the edge. Again, for the season pass, that premium content that you want, rotorworld.com slash win, and for DFS, rotorworld.com slash DFS, and use promo code NFL50. All right, Dagsy, time for the column. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's up on Rotorworld right now. Let's look at the Falcons' backfield. Devontae Freeman left against the New Orleans Saints, so Brian Hill is inserted 20 carries for 61 yards, Two targets, one reception, 10 yards. You're not going to get as favorable game script, as weird game script, as that was yesterday against the Saints. But the fact is, he's still got 21 touches, Brian Hill. Devontae Freeman's getting an MRI as we record this. Perhaps uh, could miss an extended period. And if he does, I would imagine Brian Hill is the guy they lean on in the Devontae Freeman role over 80% of their snaps. They didn't use Kadri Allison at all yesterday. Kenyon Barner only played 10 snaps behind Hill's 38 in the These interim. These backs that you're mentioning? I know. They're, they're, that's so their backups. Ludicrous. That's what they're down to with Edo Smith now out for the season. So, yeah, I think Brian Hill is a stash waiting to explode. Waiting to explode? Waiting to explode. Wow. I think I actually I do think Brian Hill is a pretty good player. In a better situation than, like, Balage getting all of the snaps. Sure, but, like, if that's the mark that you're going with, again, I don't want average football players on bad teams. He could be waiting to explode for week 11. He had 21 touches. He's going to have a three-down roll against the Panthers' defense. That that's were, true. Uh, not as bad as the Chiefs' run defense. But I just bad can't get amped. No, but I, I understand. But In aver- general. But average, team is not us, <laughs> average team is not us arguing about Mark Walton on the Dolphins, right? Like you at least can see that one where it's like, hey, he's, okay. just, a ba- he's just a bad Question. team. Question. Do you think Brian Hill right now is better than what Devontae Freeman has shown this year? Yes. Okay. So you think he can improve off Devontae Freeman's 41, 41 rushing yards per game, 31 receiving yards per game so far this season? Yes, and what, so I'm, you 72 yards. what I'm really hinging on is him taking the targets from Devontae Freeman. I don't care about the middling carries, to be honest. Okay. I agree with everything John says with the addendum of four week 11. Maybe explosion then the Bucks. was the wrong Strong? terminology. You're trying to sell your column. I understand. But no, no, I'm not even trying to sell the column because J.D. McKissick might be ranked higher than him. But what I'm saying is that he is a very good pickup because we're not going to get another Ronald Jones who had issues in himself yesterday with fumbling. But we're not going to – I really don't think we're seeing another back who's getting a majority of the work this year unless it comes down to injuries like this. And the fact is, Freeman's injury may be long-term. He's a plug-and-play RB2. I told you I started Frank Gore yesterday in the league, Josh. Like, I need some help. (laughs) I need Brad Hill in my life. For the second time this season, yesterday against the Saints, and the Saints have a very good defense. And so, again, it was shocking to see that game um, go in favor of the Falcons so much. The Falcons went over 100 rushing yards. And I know you're not talking about rushing yards here necessarily. You think it's more about passing game. I don't know, man. It's just difficult, even in week 11, for me to be like, yeah, Brian Hill is someone I definitely want to invest in. I, I get it. Want is a strong word, but someone you, like, these are kind of... You have to? Yeah, a guy who comes along with a potentially every down roll. That's like... Uh, and we still right. have two more weeks of 14 buys. We got, we got to get through this, Josh. This we got part, to get through the next two weeks. This part of the season, you really shouldn't have any fab left, but I would use a lot of fab on Brian Hill this week. Um, I know next it's a wide receiver on the list, but since he mentioned J.D. McKissick, hopefully we can go to that one because yeah. J.D. McKissick is a name that people might be debating between Brian Hill and between J.D. McKissick. Life comes at you fast here, Daigle. <laughs> uh, Ty Johnson left with an injury this past Sunday. McKissick against those Chicago Bears. 10 carries for 36 yards, and in the receiving game, whopping seven targets, nice six receptions, mm-hmm. the tune of 19 yards. Not very nice, but nice. 
However, what J.D. McKissick did was play the role that we always wanted on Johnson to play. He got 70% of the snaps. He ran 36 routes to Paul Perkins 7. He was a true like workhorse. And yes, it came with Jeff Driscoll under center. And maybe it's Jeff Driscoll the rest of the season. Who knows with Matthew Stafford's whatever he's dealing with, a broken back, a broken bone, whatever the case. But if Ty Johnson remains out with that con with concussion syndromes and we only have uh, J.D. McKissick, and Paul Perkins, Nick, Bo Nick Baldwin's a fullback. I'm not worried about him at all. So Correct. we only have two backs in this backfield. This, again, is a better situation than Brian Hill because we can guarantee J.D. McKissick won't lose his pass-catching role no matter what. And J.D. McKissick will likely see seven-plus targets if he's their starting running back. J.D. McKissick is a guy who exists. Uh, that's always been my man. When I think of J.D. McKissick, I think of, like, Pointless Pete Carroll press conferences. I remember, <laughs> him up. I remember so he, many. He's very Pete, good third down. Pete back Carroll, then. JD McKissick, like random hype sessions. It didn't really do a whole lot for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, but I think Matthew Stafford sounds like maybe he has like the Derek Carr, Tony Romo broken back. You know, just a minor broken back. Well, he'll be back in a week. No, I was saying I think he'll only miss a game or two. We discussed David Johnson though, bottom five in broken tackle rate this year. JD McKissick is top five among guys with thirty plus carries. Mm. Yeah, I, I would rather add Brian Hill than J.D. McKissick, just personally. I don't know. May, uh, this is not like a humble brag, but like this year I'm just not having to worry about these low-end running backs. We're well, also winning the A-League, and then you have, Josh you have Tevin Coleman. You have me. a lot of backs. So. Josh is an elitist. Let's go to the wide receiver position. You sound like someone who's never started Trey Edmonds in your life. No, well, I, I haven't. I started Trey Edmonds last <laughs> week. I can say that with confidence. <laughs> I have to. Darius Slayton is a rookie wide receiver for the New York Giants. Mm. Darius Slayton had an awesome Sunday against the New York Jets. 14 targets. 10 receptions, 121 yards, and two touchdowns. We've noticed that Sterling Shepard has been out with concussion-like mm -hmm. symptoms for quite some time. Not a stretch to say that Darius Slayton has kind of emerged as, if not the, one of Daniel Jones's favorite targets. Not a stretch to truly think that Shepard may not play again this year after mm -hmm. re-entering concussion protocol Saturday night for the third time this season, uh, this past week. However, Darius Slayton now two touchdowns in two games, in, in two of his last three games. Uh, just over six targets the past month and leads the team in air yards in that time, despite the fact that it's Golden Tate who still leads the team with target share in that span. Even with Evan Ingram back, Darius Slayton is their guy that gets shots 18, 20-plus yards downfield. Uh, and so that makes him intriguing. He's more, in my mind, a bi-week filler, however, because... He's still a stretch with Daniel Jones. And yep. we talked about Daniel Jones likely prospering because the Jets are not a team just like the Bucks, just like the Lions, that don't get pressure. And that is when Danny Dime, because he has 10 fumbles in the past month, Danny Dime himself, that's when he struggles the most downfield. However, the fact he gets deep shot, Slayton, that is at least positive in his favor. Have you heard that people criticize Dave Gettleman for his draft picks? I mean, <laughs> it has happened every once in a while. I mean, the roller coaster of Daniel Jones winning his first two contests and now losing six straight. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's kind of pick has gone up and down a little bit. I think he's had his moments. I, I think with Daniel Jones that there's a little too much Jameis Winston in him at times where he that, fumbles the ball, he throws interceptions. Who, I watched it last night. That's who he reminds me of. It's yeah. Jameis Winston. He reminds me but, of Ryan Fitzpatrick. But to compliment Dave Gettleman here, he has found something in Darius Slayton. A late-round mm -hmm. pick 
who looks the part, who is big, who can get down the field, who has a role in this offense immediately, that's difficult to find across the league, and Slayton's really impressive. Dane Brugler, a scouting guy, actually had him Don't top. Know him. Actually had <laughs> you absolutely do. He actually had him top 150, even though he went so late. Don't believe it. I got to say a few thoughts. <laughs> First, I meant Jameis Winston reminds me of Ryan Fitzpatrick, not Daniel Jones. Reminds me of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Real quick, Darius Slayton, 4.39 speed, uh, averaged over 20 yards per catch in the SEC. It was a fifth round pick. It was questionable ball skills, uh, but he's... Was that the, the mark on him coming out of it school? It was, according to Mr. Evan Silva. Oh, okay. Questionable ball skills right. in the I haven't heard world. of him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's only the fourth, per Matthew Barry, only the fourth guy this year, receiver with multiple two-touchdown games. Hmm. 14 targets this year. The one problem with Darius Slayton is that they're going on bye this week, and then they're coming out of bye against the Bears. So maybe don't go crazy on the waiver wire. We'll say the Bears aren't quite the Bears of 2019 They're or 2018. Not, but they They're could, just not having the same turnover mark. Against Daniel Jones, though. Yeah, I hear you. Be, They're going to get yeah, some turnovers yeah. against yeah. Daniel Jones. Let's put it that sure. way. O.J. Howard is the name we're going to close this episode with. Oh, buddy. He's back. Seven targets, four receptions, 47 yards, and a touchdown against the Arizona Cardinals. A lot of it seemed like it came on a single drive. It was his first touchdown of the season. He's been dropped in a lot of leagues. Yes. John Daigle. Should be back we, we in the lineup. We have a story about that, actually. Yeah, he uh, may he may have been dropped in our Roto World Deathmatch League with I Silva may and have added him and had him go crazy. Yeah, he may have been dropped by Daigle <laughs> in the other league Thanks, because Daigle. we had to reach. We had we needed some bye week fillers, yeah. buddy. But what happened? He went out with a hamstring injury for a few weeks. And what happened when he came back in this game? A lot of people will look at the production and attribute to the Cardinals defense, which is fair. But 84 of 85 snaps, a season high. Uh, ran around on 85% of Jamie Winston's dropbacks, a season high. Seven, Jamie Winston. Ja- did I say that? You said Jamie, Jamie Winston, Winston. That's his sister. Uh, season high. Seven targets. The, the Texas becomes more and more. Season high. And then his first target inside the 10 all year. In week 10, Josh, he finally got a target inside the 10 and caught a touchdown with it. It was on a coverage bust. But, you know, uh, I cannot imagine the way this offense is schemed. I, th- I think Bruce Arians is a good offensive coach. But I don't think he played O.J. Howard across the board at season-high rates yeah. because they played the Cardinals. I would like to imagine this is how we project him moving forward as an every-down tight end. And if that is the case, then I'm willing to take those eggs he's going to launch into the sky, most likely, the two-for-20s and one-for-sevens. That's fine. As long as he plays 95% of the snaps again, I'll take the loss. What we need to talk about, though, is because this week on the waiver wire, the tight end is the big conversation. Uh, Darren Fells was dropped. He's, he's now available in over 60% of Yahoo and ESPN leagues. And Darren Fells, as we know, a touchdown machine. Yep. Dallas Goddard and Noah Fant also available. So we're going to have to rank all these Lots guys. Lots of options. Actually, you don't have to do anything. I have to rank these guys in the waiver <laughs> wire column. So that's why I mentioned O.J. Howard, because he's one of a handful of people I would stream over T.J. Hawkinson, who's still owned in over 50% of leagues, and I don't mm. understand why. Um, and then Vance McDonald, still owned in like 53% of leagues. Don't know why. <laughs> Probably because Darty told him to. So, hey, I couldn't imagine the quarterback was going to need Tommy John surgery or whatever. That's, that's, all I'm that's say fair. Vance McDonald. Are we good on OJ Howard? Have we closed the book? I think we're good. Are we done with this podcast? We got to rank them right after this, though. So, <laughs> all right, everyone, that does it for us. Again, we'll be back on Thursday and Friday this week with more episodes. Again, go back and listen to that review pod that we did on Sunday night for every game um, on the Sunday slate. So, for John Daigle, for Patrick Darty, I'm Josh Norris.